Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is Practical Masculinity, or perhaps we were discussing maybe calling it Band of Brothers, in a world where everyone thinks that all people are the same, uh, we can perhaps got an opinion that men are a little bit different, different enough to talk about how we can go about uh, being men in this world. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Galliott, artist, resident geek. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. Thank you for having me again. And Cormac McCann, philosopher and sports fan. Welcome, Cormac. Thanks very much, Peter. Excellent. Before we get started, just a reminder, if you like the show, subscribe to the podcast and that way you won't miss an episode. Okay. Practical masculinity. Now that implies that we are um, talking, we've had a couple of prior episodes where we talked about masculinity in general. We talked about the stories of masculinity, but now we want to talk more about the practical elements of being a man. So uh, what sort of things do you think uh, we need to address if we're going to deal with practical masculinity? I might throw to you first, Box. One of the things, I mean, I've got to throw this out there. if if I may, without getting too personal, but uh, I didn't grow up with a father figure, so to speak. So I learned by watching other fathers and 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 um, other people in what they thought and what we all thought, I guess, was masculinity. And I think just going off the title of our episode, I'd say that one of the biggest things is presence, just having the presence or a masculine presence there to help guide you. Okay, so practically speaking, then it's to to seek out and and look for that kind of masculine presence. Yeah, yeah. Cormac, what do you think we need to get to? Yeah, no, I already agree with with Box there, but I think um, one of the big challenges, of course, is when we're trying to think about it practically. It's well, how do you distinguish a good male role model from a bad one? Um, and this is especially challenging, I think, for boys in their teenage years. Um, where we're particularly susceptible to peer pressure and particularly susceptible to the opinions of others. Uh, our image, uh, we're very image conscious, um, how we look, how we appear, our abilities are very much uh, out there for scrutiny and the validation of others. Uh, and so where we go for that validation uh, is, is, is really critical. And I think then there's a kind of a, um, a carryover effect of, of how we perceive of ourselves as, as men to how we try and instill masculinity in our children as well for those of us who are lucky enough to, to be parents. Uh, and so, yeah, I think there are lots of, lots of things to be said on that front. So it'd be great to see where we can go with that. Yeah, and, and not just trying to recreate a, a kind of masculinity that is suitable for me as a person, but kind of giving them the tools to, to find what their view of ma- their are manifestation of masculinity is so some of my sons are not like me at all like in terms of their personality and so the way i go about being a man might not perfectly suit them as a cookie cutter exercise you know but to give them the tools of what's important what's central to masculinity how do you grow as a man they're going to take it in a different direction i hope at least in in some cases i just imagine sorry just a group of little mini biblical theologians running around the house (laughs) all just like talking to people yelling and screaming and well, righteousness that's, that's at the a, top of their voice. Righteousness. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used that, um, especially because it sounds rather rude when you say it in Greek. What's interesting to me is about this whole thing is that a generation ago, they tell me lots of people wanted to be just what their dad was when they grew up. And 
these days, almost everyone wants to be not what their dad is. So none of my kids want to want to study, you know, like be an academic. Um, none of my kids want to be involved in the things I'm doing. So that's, they, I mean, they respect me for it, but they don't want to be that. Oh, but it's so interesting though, because I don't think it's, I think you're right that there's an interesting thing about following in your father's footsteps, but I think it's still very prevalent today though, that there's this kind of tendency for kids to pursue their, their their parents' professions. It's something that actually we've conversed about with my family and my wife's family about, you know, um, people going into the health profession or people becoming teachers. And it's like, well, why did you do that? And it was just, well, that's what was talked about so much around the dinner table. That was the conversation that um, that, that kind of got us all interested. And so did I gravitate it because towards it because I was familiar with it or did I also share a same like the same passion? Like where does it come from? That kind of is it a nature nurture question. I think that becomes a bit of a struggle uh, at, at the moment in this current uh, society. I mean, if you look at my my own cousins that I'm helping to raise here, they spend almost all their time watching YouTube or different things there. So the kind of things that they're being that they're hearing and being exposed to are a lot more. Uh, I, they're they're not as fine tuned to, to the family as what you might right. have in that situation. That's interesting point there, Box, is that um, when I was growing up, the danger for negative views of masculinity came from the locker room talk, you know, the, the change rooms at the footy or um, the kind of the male-only cultures which would which would gather around and they'd reinforce negative things like very bad understanding of women, a sort of a, a lustful or, or um, objectification of women, um, a kind of a macho uh you know, beat your chest, kind of the biggest guy in the room uh, wins out kind of thing. Nowadays, you might think that's different and we might think that that doesn't happen. But in fact, online, it's creating subcultures which are even more restricted and even more, you know, they, they go into even darker territory if they like, they never happened in the change rooms. And we, I mean, we all as men would have been exposed. In fact, I think there's a statistic that says about 90% of uh, young boys are exposed to these the darkest areas of the internet uh, by the time this for fourteen, I think, is the is the is the um, stat that oh, I really? saw. What, how do they think that happens? Like, what uh, is, well, because is other any- boys shove it in their face. Uh, the, the, because we have handheld devices now that can access any any dark corner of the internet. You've basically got people, and I know with my sons, they they first encountered it when some older fellow from a, I, I mean, I just want to say this clearly from a Catholic family, another fellow uh, shoved some hardcore pornography in their face on the bus. Uh, there's lots and lots of incidents of this sort of thing happening, and this is not necessarily restricted to secular schools. In fact, it's just as bad in every school situation. And it's not just schools either. The young young people, if they get online and they're not, you know, in a public place being watched by people, then basically they're exposed to this, and all their friends are shoving it at them because there's a, a cycle of negative reinforcement of these things it's not just the internet though there's a there's a kind of a negative reinforcement when we don't have positive role models and so i think uh ryan um your point right at the beginning there is pretty much the most important one when we're talking about practical steps it's one thing to say sure it's a no-brainer to not access these dark places on the internet that's a no-brainer but what do we do about it well you can't just not do things you have to work towards positives um it's not it's not enough to just avoid the negatives we need to look towards what's good true and beautiful and men strive they want to strive for things they want to challenge and what i'm finding is that myself and others around me will respond much better when we're challenged by 
good, strong role models uh, who call us to be, you know, good, strong Christian men. Finding those role models is a bit difficult in a world full of flawed people. Um, how would we go about that? You, you mentioned finding good role models, Box. How would you start going about that? Well, I mean, I I looked at a lot of the men in my life when I was growing up without a father and noticed the the ideals that we seem to shoot for. Um, and that's why one reason I, I brought up presence, not not just being there, but being present in being there. And um, so, in other words, even if you're there, you might be distracted, or you know, no, don't bother yeah. me. Dad's busy doing such and such. Yeah. So just just a father figure being there and paying attention, uh, it it gives not only permission to open up to that trusted figure, but also it provides that role model to say, hey, okay, this person knows how, this. Is, they're teaching me how to listen. They're teaching me how to live my life. But also, there's as that added. Uh, aspect of uh, one thing i learned when when i was going into ministry was uh as as a as a leader teach someone how to do something and then allow them the agency and the opportunity to to try and fail and, and having the the male role model there to encourage you and to help you when needed um also helped me to have the courage to ask for help when i needed there's there's also there they're not just teaching you how to listen by listening to you they're teaching you that you're worth something yeah. that you're worthwhile listening to and so the attention in fact we can we just recently had an episode where we talked to someone about self-worth and how how deeply our self-worth comes from those initial experiences of father and mother and 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 family around us and friends and one of the strongest ways to build up someone's self-worth is to to show them that they're worth something by actually paying them attention, by showing that they're worthwhile, by listening, really listening, not just dealing with whatever they're saying, but actually listening to the person. One of the things you mentioned there was helping them deal with failure. In fact, encouraging them to have a go and then deal with the failure. How, how do men deal with failure normally, do you reckon? Um, this is an open question, I guess. How do we go about dealing with failure? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Peter just talking about the, I think there's a natural tendency um, for certainly me, and I assume many, many, many blokes out there, and it might not just be men either, but um, there's there's a there's an instinctive uh, denial, uh, an instinctive movement towards uh, either. Well, I think two ways. You can either live in in denial about it and let the ego kind of dictate that. No, no everything's together, I'm on top of the world, I don't make mistakes, um, which is actually not a, it's not actually an uncommon mentality used by, for example, professional athletes in individual sports, uh, thinking of tennis players, for example, and the kind of the the, the level of self-belief you have to have um, in order to um, perform at such a high level and then remain committed to the cause, even if you are getting outclassed by your opponent. But then there's uh, what happens beneath the surface as well, uh, which is the brooding, you know, the the constant agonizing over um, playback of you know, time and time again. Oh, why did I do that? And it comes, I find it that my own mistakes come back at me at random times of day. You know, I'm just like, I don't know, I'm doing the dishes or something like that. And this mistake I made two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, and I actually... I actually have this involuntary grunt that I make um, when I remember my own mistakes. It actually vocalizes a kind of a, 
it's like, oh, and then someone like looks I'm at me and goes, oh, what was that? empathizing with your callback. <laughs> it's terrible because I was like, oh, I'm empathizing with growls. you there because it's absolutely exactly what I do, in fact, except that it's not two weeks ago. I have 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I'll remember some absolutely massive stuff up I've made in a conversation, embarrass myself thoroughly, and I'll, I was just, ah. Oh. And just out, literally out loud, and my wife would go, "What? What? <laughs> no, something from twenty years ago." And she goes, well, "What hope have I got? If you're still you're still kicking yourself about something twenty years ago, what about doing the dishes now?" Yeah, there's a kind of a, a constant internal self um, critique, if you like, going on. But how do we get to the positive side of it? How do we get to the the not just the role models, but the good behaviours the role models exemplify? If, if I may, just on that last point, and especially with that, how to get to the, the positives. I remember bringing it back to my favorite topic, which is popular culture. <laughs> I um, Growing up, we had video games that didn't have what we now so commonly have, which is save files, uh, areas in the game where the game memorizes where you're up to. Uh, I remember playing Mario Brothers and getting to the final boss in the final world, and someone turned off my uh, my Nintendo. And I had to start from the beginning, right? And and it was one of those things is it taught me patience and perseverance to just keep going, right? Um, but what, what's come out in, in current culture is this notion of rage quit, where it's become glamorous to, to rage um, after you've failed at something and, and, and allow right. this aggression. And I think, I remember when I, uh, going through university, one of my friends failed at a subject a few times. And he was getting frustrated. And I said, look, don't get frustrated that you're failing if you're learning something along the way. If you're failing and not learning anything, then yeah, that would be a waste of your time. But if you're learning, even if you failed, you haven't really failed. And I think yeah. that's something that it, it shows the solidity of a person, not just a masculine person, but a person if they know how to take failure in stride um, as a way to, to But striding be a forwards person. though too, and I, I do want to just say that, you know, just on that point box that striving forwards is is um i think that's kind of the condition of failure to be meaningful um one of the things we do have to always be careful of is saying that oh yeah it is okay to fail and like yeah yeah it is um absolutely it is we all fail multiple times but we also want to um in terms of driving towards that positive mindset is actually mapping out strategies or, or goals or you know, that, that kind of forward thinking mentality, developing that ability to think and solve problems and particularly your own problems and go, all right, well, I failed this time. Why did I fail? What reasons were they personal? Right. Were they external? And then be able to say, all right, and then how do I make sure I don't do that again? Um, and you might fail again for a different reason, but that I think is the, is the, is the precondition to growth, which is what I think, you know, all human beings are geared to do, but especially for that, um, instinctive masculine, um, desire to, um, to flourish in a particular way that is, um, it's not, it's not, um, extravagant or out there but there's a certain pride in our achievement um that really really matters and so when we do look for those role models for those people to um that we're going to and say look i am failing for them to help you see that um you've taken steps and then uh grown as a result of that and for them to verbally affirm that development uh is for you to just experience a really profound sense of growth as a man i remember playing a lot of sport when I was uh, in my early 20s 
and we lost a lot of games. And you know when you when you lose almost every game in a season and you're playing, there's a temptation to feel like you're a complete failure. But in fact, the losing I learnt more about myself and about the sports and about how to be a man um, from uh, from being in a profoundly frequently losing team than I did playing for a winning team. Now, and that happened. I mean, that that team developed into a winning team, and we actually won um, all the way up to A grade in that particular team. But I, I found that people who had joined us after the time we were losing a lot didn't have the same character that we'd built because we'd built a character that could be resilient, that could actually know that there's a victory in having giving everything you've got, giving your best effort and being dignified in defeat and actually being a gentleman about your defeat, like say honouring the other person and playing it to the last thing. Even if you knew you were going to lose, you play it out to the last you know, make them pay for every single tiny little bit of victory they get. And there's a, <laughs> there's a profound manly dignity in that, in that sense, you know, to really struggle. And in fact, I learned more about the struggle in the losing sides than I learned by when we were winning almost everything. Um, in fact, winning almost everything made it, made me almost a bit too casual about my, my sports. And also, you know, if you're winning everything, you, you don't get there if you're like as a man. So I, well, I guess what I'm saying is that it's not just about um, learning our lessons to win the next time. It's actually, what does this say about me as, as my character? Like if I'm in this team or if I'm group working with this team of people and we don't seem to be kicking goals right now, how do we behave now and what does it say about our character? Right now, um, my university is going through some tough times and there's, you know, there's there's a few. There's a lot of fear around because the university sectors started to chop. I think one university in Western Australia has cut 300 staff, and there's a couple in Melbourne that have stopped. Cut, you know, dropped a couple of hundred. There's some here in Sydney that are looking to drop a couple of hundred. There's there's a lot of fear around the place. The question isn't so much how do we get through with a, a good result at the end of it, or how do we win, but what sort of character do I display in this this moment? What sort of integrity will I live out in this moment? Whatever the end result was, I can't control the end result. I can control me, though. I can control how I behave in this circumstance. Um, I think that feeds into the whole point of of presence again. I mean, how you allow that, that the ups and downs and the wins and losses to feed your character. So how you allow that to show to others, and and how you how it influences your treatment of others. Um, I think that can be. Uh, a very uh, masculine or non-masculine thing. I mean, I guess I don't know how to. Yeah, I don't think it's limited yeah. to masculinity. Yeah, mm. yeah. In terms yeah. of displaying character when the situation seems to be beyond your control, um, beyond your. Uh, I love this concept of controlling what's within your sphere of influence, um, and being able like, and that's ultimately what defines. You know, you might not be able to solve world hunger, even though you're really passionate about doing it. You might not be able to. I mean, you might be able to in twenty years' time, but certainly not tomorrow. But there's a there's but there's certainly something to be said for mending the relationship with your brother because you've neglected you know that relationship for years or. Um, you've got a really important work project and there's an annoying piece that you don't want to do, um, but actually getting up and knocking that over or, or, you know, doing that, you'd chop that tree down that you're meaning to for months because you haven't done it yet. Yeah. And, you know, ticking those off little by little actually has that um, fantastic 
um, ability of developing your character. And there's this great line in the, um, I watched um, this movie about Margaret Thatcher um, the other week. Uh, it's called The Iron Lady. It came out about 10 years ago. Um, but there's this wonderful scene, Meryl Streep plays um, Margaret Thatcher. She does a fantastic job. And, and the movie, you know, has its has its ups and downs. But uh, there's this beautiful scene in it where she's she's got Alzheimer's. She's seeing a doctor uh, and he's asking her, you know, um, how are you feeling today? And she goes, you know, oh, how are you feeling? Oh, that's all everyone's interested in today, isn't it? Just how we feel. It's like thoughts and ideas. That's that's what's interesting, you know. And so <laughs> and so she explains, you know, why they're so important. She says, "What's your thoughts? For they become words, you know. Also, what's your words? Sorry, what's your thoughts? For they become actions. Um, what's your actions? For they become habits. What's your habits? For they become your character. And what's your character? For it becomes your destiny." Um, and there's really something to be said in, I really like that little line, yeah, that there's this, that the idea that there's, you've got to take responsibility, um, for ownership of who you are and how you behave. And there's a really great example, actually, in the Navy SEALs. Peter, you talked about professional athletes and what better, you know, profession of athleticism than the Navy SEALs, right? Um, there's this wonderful book written by two, um, Navy SEAL commandos. Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership. Uh, and it's basically about how the leadership principles of the Navy SEALs can be applied to the private sector uh, in that. And they find that one of the biggest problems in organizations potential to grow and flourish is actually not in their organizational structure, but actually in the character of their leaders. Uh, and leaders not taking enough individual ownership of the outcomes. It's the oh, it's this, it's this new um, ince- bonus incentive structure that's failed. That's why we're not doing so well. Uh, and and so there's all this externalization of excuses. Uh, and so these guys, this this fantastic book, you can uh, highly recommend you read it if you if you're interested. They were doing this Navy SEAL exercise where they had to carry these massive like inflatable boats, and they had to pick them up from the sand of the beachhead sprint as a team of like six or eight seals this was the final the final round for before they've got selected to being navy seals and they had to sprint and swim with the boat loop around like a checkpoint in the ocean swim back drag it back up the beach land it do it again and there were teams of seals and they were all racing and one team was just gunning it they were so good never noticed that wow their leader is just a machine. He was gearing everyone up. He ran from the back. He, he, he pushed harder than everybody else. He worked hard for everything. And then the guy with the team that was coming last was swearing at his, at, at his, you know, at his other seals. He was so angry. He's like, my team sucks. That's the problem. You know, the leadership pulled him aside. They're like, what's up? He's like, you've just given me the worst team possible. I guarantee you, you put me with better people and we will be fantastic, you know? And he just couldn't see that he was the problem. Uh, and Anyway, so the leaders pulled everyone in and said, all right, we're just going to do the exercise again, but we're going to swap the leader of team one who was winning and the, and the boat team of team six who was coming last. They swapped the leaders around and what happened? Team six started coming first. The leader was just gearing everyone up. Everyone was really excited to be involved with such, uh, you know, an impressive guy. And then team, the, the boat was team one was coming second. And this guy who'd been put in a good team was all of a sudden, right, this guy's leadership skills are infectious. He's imparted all of his um, high, fantastic masculine qualities to the rest of the group. And now this guy is sharing in the reward of that. Um, But it was a really interesting outcome that they showed that the power of the leader and the individual controlling his sphere of influence rather than externalizing the problem and blaming it on someone else. So it was a really good example there. 
Taking responsibility is a massive deal in masculinity, though. I mean, we're, we're a little bit, we, we talked about being afraid of failure. Um, one of the things, we, the advantages we have as Catholic men is that there's a mechanism involved. There's a kind of a way of m- making a failure a positive and that we can actually own. And one of the fears of owning up to having stuffed up is that the consequences, you think everyone's going to think less of me. Everyone's going to, you know, think I'm a failure. But in the Catholic world, um, I mean, ultimately, if we if we go to the confessional, the answer is forgiveness and you start again. And there's a kind of a strength to it to actually admit that you've done something wrong. Um, there's more of a weakness, if you like, in hiding it and pretending that I'm okay. It takes a bit of guts. I don't know about you guys, but I find I still find it difficult to walk into a confessional. Um, it's not the easiest thing in my life. <laughs> I like the, I like the feeling as I leave, but not to walk in. It's not fun. And but to own up to that is a hard thing, and it's a it's a strong thing that's necessary in our lives. But it, it also mm. works in relationships. I'm married. And if I'm not prepared to own up to when I've hurt my wife or when there's something wrong with our relationships, it might not be something I'm meant to do. It might just be some little casual thing I've said. And then, but I have to own up to it. And that only by owning up to that and facing it and then actually practically trying to live better and, and to demonstrate to her that I'm, I um, want to change that so it doesn't hurt her, that is where I find that's actually a big struggle for me. And it's, I think I've seen it in many men that that's the struggle, actually owning your own um, struggle and being honest about uh, where you feel weak um, because that's the only way really to get stronger. You can pretend to be strong all the time, but actually what you end up being is weaker because you're not working on your weaknesses. I think um, a lot of that feeds into integrity as well as a person. We speak about the, the Catholic world, uh, going to confession, you need to have a contrite heart confessing your sins i think if, you, if anyone went in there not honestly really being sorry it speaks a lot to integrity and and the sacrament doesn't really work without without a contrite heart so there's something there as, as a as a father figure as a brother as a masculine person to have integrity in what you do in your failures and in your successes to show that it you know it helps to build you up but even in your failures even in your weaknesses uh, you can still improve, as you hmm. were saying, Peter. Yeah. yeah, the working on the weaknesses thing is something I'd like to pick up on. Um, yep. Uh, as Christians, we talk about growing in grace, growing in virtue. Virtue literally means strength. It's a, it's from the word strength, vir, um, and it's also from the word man. I want to put it out there. How do we actually? How do we grow in this? In, in this? Um, in the areas of our weakness, how do we transform them? Uh, it takes a certain humility, but you don't. Nobody likes someone who just says how crap they are all the time. You know, it's one thing to be honest about your flaws, but there's the actual work on how to how to improve them. So let, let's finish off the episode on a strong note here and work on strengths. Um, how do we become strong in these areas? I really like um, this idea that I can't remember who it came from. It might have been, I think it was a clinical psychologist, um, talking about especially for men, young men in their either late teens or at university or maybe a, a fair way into their career um, to think about what they should do with their life. And, and a big question for men typically is, what do I do with my professional life? 
you know, what, where am I going to leave my mark on the world? Where am I going to have an impact? Um, you know, and that could be in, in health or in law or in engineering or in, in, in um, or it could be in something like theatre or, you know, but there's, there's different expressions of the impact that you can have. There's different ways it can manifest. But how do you reflect on, one of the big challenges I find for men is, in, is uh, it's really hard to reflect on what areas they are actually passionate about you know it's like oh, what are you passionate about it's like oh well, i just don't really know okay what are you good at you know i'm not i'm not super super sure of that either maybe because i don't have that affirmation that i'm good at it or, or whatever um and one of the a really good little tests you can give yourself is answering two questions i think or, or, or dealing with two concepts the first is um what are the most important problems or important challenges in the world that I think need solving. So as a really important start, it's like I might not be passionate per se, but think what, of what matters to you in terms of what's a really big problem that you think needs addressing. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be grand scale. It could just be, you know, you know, the best, some of the best businesses have come from, you know, solving a little problem that just grows into something amazing. But that's, that's the first question I think you should ask. The second the thing you should address is, um, where is the point at which my skill set or what I work on reaches the edge of my zone of comfort and starts getting into the realm of I feel stressed and uncomfortable? Because once you start entering that zone, that's when you know growth is occurring. And it doesn't have to be a huge leap off the edge of a cliff, but you do need to be in a place where working in an environment where you know that you don't have all the answers and there's this kind of this sense of floating but but it, and not quite free falling but but definitely you're not you're not on solid ground uh, and you want to think about the areas in your life that try to intersect um, that place that you're passionate about and then the need that you could possibly contribute to and especially in a way where you're not fully comfortable doing it and you'll find yourself starting to grow and starting to grow towards something that really matters Mm, That's the a discomfort zone. Yeah. I mean, comfort zone is a, is a big uh, barrier to growth in many ways. But I think definitely the, the one thing that, that got me when I was learning a lot of the masculinity was being willing to roll up your sleeves and give it a go. Um, when you're in a zone, when you're in an area that you're not comfortable with, you know, whether it was mission work, uh, going to university for the first time, whenever thought I never thought I'd be a university student. So many things, giving it a go and, and giving it 100%. And not just tentatively, oh, I'll give it 10% and see how it goes. No, just, you know, be absolutely there. Yeah, I, I really like the comfort zone thing, Cormac. It's um, uh, feeling uncomfortable can be, in some cases, a, a sign that you're, you're not, um, not in the right place. But the kind of discomfort you're talking about is the one that where you think, this is going to take everything I've got. You know, this is going to take a bit more mm. than just, I can't just coast on this one. I've got to pedal hard to get there um, right. the kind of discomfort that you have when you're trying to cycle uphill kind of thing so it's a it's a it's this it's not that you're totally lost and out of your depth it's more that it's mm. you know there's there's hard work involved here and gosh am i going to make it to the top but at least i know how to pedal i know what i'm doing here <laughs> in the, the hard of, work brings its reward though you find all of a sudden yes. you start achieving and then all of a sudden you get the endorphin release and you're like hang on a second i'm doing okay here you know and, that's right and, and that gives you the courage to have a go again, you know. It goes back to that old old thing back in the in when my kids started playing sport. Um, it, when everyone gets a trophy, uh, they don't value it. 
But when when it's the hard one to get, when it's the one they have to strive for, when it's the one that you know singles them out as the best on ground for that particular thing, then that's the one they value. And and when we've had to struggle for a reward, when we've had to go through hard times to get there, when we've had to really put in an effort, that's when it actually starts to define us. And in particular, how we deal with the hardship of getting there. I think Ryan, you made a good point there about putting your best in. Some some of the most amazing success stories. I don't know if you've ever read Abraham Lincoln's life story, but some of the most amazing success stories have about 12 levels of failure in them. Like, you know, run for parliament four times before he even gets in, you know, they kind of, and, you know, lost his sweetheart. There's all kinds of reasons in there that we would normally accept as, oh, well, you know, he has had had a tough life. You've got to give him some slack. He's just kept going, you know, there's this kind of drive to it. And it's, it's, um, I, I think I read, maybe you finish off with this one, but I read somewhere the definition of success is moving from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm. The kind of <laughs> picking yourself up and going again, picking yourself up and going again, and really, success is someone who st- who just didn't take uh, a momentary failure as the last word. They just kept going. They just would not accept the, uh, the, the kind of the end being failure. That's a good point to finish on, I reckon. <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> That's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with the podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Discord, Instagram, Twitter, or give us a line on info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Write us a review. Let other people know about this uniquely Australian Catholic podcast. We think that's a pretty cool idea. Before we go, it's time for shout-outs. Ryan. Uh, talking about masculinity, um, I'm best man for three different uh, couples in their in their weddings and marriages, and so I want to shout out to Scott, Iggy, and Brendan. Hope you guys are doing well, and uh, can't wait to catch up with you guys when uh, everything clears up. Excellent, Cormac. And I'm gonna um, apologise to the audience for not really getting into any of the parenting aspects of uh, raising boys in, in terms of practical masculinity tips, because I was really hoping Peter was gonna share some tips with me and that was I had my notebook out and everything ready to go um, but for those of you who um, would like things like that um, I would just want to do a little shout out to the Messy Families podcast um, it's run out of the United States from a husband and wife who have 10 children um, who started out doing the podcast on the side and now take it full time because it's it's so popular they've come out to Australia once I'm sure they plan on doing it again once all this kind of Rona stuff clears up um, and anyway yeah so wonderful um episodes there that you can listen to to get some great tips on parenting yeah we we plan to do lots more on parenting Cormac so stay tuned for that Um, my shout out is going to go to someone who unfortunately passed away recently um, who was one of my role models for masculinity a a fellow who was on the boxing team at Oxford um, taught uh, many, many years, including a couple of uh, courses that he taught here in Australia. And I was very blessed to attend his courses. Um, but he used to teach in Rome in the in the um, uh, the Biblicum. Uh, and he unfortunately died uh, recently. Um, but he's, his life was more important than all those things that I said. Uh, he was one of those fellows who was extraordinarily generous with his time and very humble man. Um, and he would, you could never get a hold of him between teaching because he was always off with the, the Mother Teresa nuns, uh, just helping in the practical sort of stuff. He was really a great role model. So the Reverend Dr. Paul Mankowski is his name, and I'm um, very sad that he's gone, but no doubt he'll have his reward in heaven. 
That's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life.